So this morning, we, guess what? We're going to talk about resurrection. Does that sound good to everybody? So we're going to look at Mark chapter 16, 1 through 8. Mark 16, 1 through 8. Uh, this, is, this is the resurrection story that no one likes to talk about. Uh, so we're going to talk about it <laughs> this morning. You'll find out why. You may know why. But we'll t- normally people are, are living into, uh, normally it's John and Luke are our favorite ones. Then there's Matthew. And then there's Mark. We're kind of like, eh, I don't know about that one. So this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Mark. You, you'll figure out why in a little bit. So Mark 16, we're going we're gonna to read verses 1 through 8. Mark 16, 1 through 8. Before we read it, let's pray together. Oh, we are grateful. Grateful to, to be in this space. Grateful to be here present. Grateful to have a virtual space where we can gather together. And we can just stop. And we can wait. We can breathe. And we can anticipate hearing a word from the divine. So as we open your word this morning, oh God, we pray that you would speak, that your voice would be the voice that we hear. Come Holy Spirit, do what you do. Help us to hear. Help us to see. Change us and transform us. Make us new. Amen. Mark 16, one through eight, hear these words. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling. And bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. We will go that far. You catching the vibe of why we don't like to talk about this one? (laughs) They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mm. Here's the deal. I love Easter. How many of us love Easter? Do you love Easter? 
I love, love Easter. Part of the reason I love Easter is because, is because it brings me back to my childhood. I just have so many happy memories of my childhood and Easter, so much goodness, so much fullness, right? So it brings me back to that place. My family would always get up and we'd always go to church because that's what you do. Your dad is the pastor, you go to church on Easter. It makes a lot of sense. But when we get there, oh, it was so good because extra people were there. Like more people showed up on Easter than any other time. So extra people were there. The place just felt so full and it was so good. Even this morning, with as few people as we, it feels full, doesn't it? Fuller than it's felt in a long time. So it felt full. And people would show up wearing really cool stuff. Like women would, would come and they would wear dresses. There'd be flowers and bright colors. Dudes would come and they'd dress in suits. They never wore suits before. They'd have bright shirts looking like they're walking around like they're Easter eggs. They'd have their ties on. It would just look so good. Up front was always the, the choir. And they would sing these big, beautiful Easter anthems that would literally fill your soul. You don't know how, but you would just feel filled to the brim with something, something extra. There was just a buzz there that filled everything. And then we would go home, and we'd have extra people in our house too, right? Aunts and uncles and grandparents, and we'd sit down and we'd fill ourselves with a big Easter meal, and again, we were full to the brim, And then after that, the adults would hide some eggs. They'd either go outside if the weather was great, like today, woo, or if the weather was terrible, we would all go upstairs, I think. Was it upstairs? We'd go upstairs, and the adults would hide the candies around our living room and family room, and and then we'd go and have our big Easter egg hunt. And once that was over, we'd crack open those eggs, and we'd fill ourselves some more, this time with chocolate. So, So for me, Easter just... There's all, there, there's this feeling of fullness. So I've got all, and now I'm a dad, and we get to do this for our own kids and live vicariously through them, and it's just fantastic. And it's more fullness upon the fullness that I experienced as a child. So I come to Easter. I come to this story the way that Mark tells it with this feeling of fullness. And I get through verse 8, and I'm like, wait, what? Trembling. They fled, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So here's the deal. The way Mark tells it, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, well, they bought some spices, right? And when they come up to this, when they come up to the scene, they don't come up to fullness. They come up and experience a profound emptiness, an empty tomb. It was a it was a massive feeling of emptiness, greater and, and, and worse than they ever could have imagined. Right? So the way Mark tells the story, it was early when they arrived, they had brought some spices because they were going to anoint the body of their dear friend Jesus. And on the way, they were talking about ordinary things, like how long is it going to take us to get there? Who's going to roll away the stone when we get there? But when they do finally arrive, they find that the stone has already been rolled away. They walk into, probably rush into, and surprise, they see a guy there wearing a white robe. That's a little creepy. He tells them that Jesus isn't there. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified, but he's not here. He's gone. He has risen, right? And then after hearing about the resurrection, what's their response? Trembling. 
and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And that's it. That's how Mark ends his story about Jesus. Now, it's true. Most of our Bibles have a little extra in there, right? There's, there's some little extra in your Bible, uh, and that's good, and we love it, and we're glad that it's there. But here's the deal. Most of the earliest copies of Mark that we have end after verse 8. Like, that's where he ended the thing. And most are in agreement that some later people came along, and they decided that that's not the way you should end the story of Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. we got to add a little extra on there so that it makes a little bit more sense because it's kind of uncomfortable where Mark leaves it. But most agree that when Mark wrote his story about Jesus, he ended after verse 8. Trembling, bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Who ends the story of Jesus like that? Why do you stop it there? Who ends it like that? Mark ends it like that. So let's just go with it. Should we go with it? Let's just talk about why in the world, hopefully by the end of this, we might come to some understanding of why in the world Mark would leave it there. So we're going to live into that. Can you imagine how these women were feeling at this point? Hard to imagine, but let's try anyway. They've already suffered through the crucifixion. The brutal murder of their dear friend in Jesus, right? They're mourning his death deeply. But it's more than that, right? They're mourning the future that they thought they had with him. Right? They'd seen him put people's lives back together again. Just think about the story in Mark that he's written so far. They'd seen him heal paralytics. They'd seen him heal the blind. They'd seen him heal people with what... Mark calls all sorts of other diseases. They'd seen him accept the unacceptable and love the unlovable. The people on the margins that everybody else says they don't belong because they're unclean, especially the religious crowd, would say, can't associate with them. Well, guess what Jesus did? He was like, oh, you're welcome. You're included too, right? They'd seen him multiply loaves of bread, a couple of fishes in order to feed them a massive amount of people. They watched him calm a storm, right? God really was at work in Jesus. God really was putting the world back together again in Jesus. God really was restoring all things, renewing all things. God in Jesus was changing the whole world, but now he's gone. He's locked away in a tomb. So they go there. They go there with all of that inside of them to pay their respects, to, to give his life over to God one last time. And what do they find? They find nothing. They find emptiness, an emptiness that's really hard for us to imagine. They tremble in their bewilderment. They've never experienced an empty tomb before, and it scares them out of their minds. It seems to me that what these women are experiencing for the very first time in the history of ever, that you have to go through an empty tomb before you get to resurrection. You have to go through an empty tomb 
before you get to resurrection, emptiness. We have some sense of what that feels like, right? And I think it's good and appropriate for us to acknowledge this, even on Easter, maybe most especially on Easter. We have, we have a sense of this emptiness. We know what it feels like, each one of us, maybe even, maybe even now, at some point in our lives, each one of us have had, have had to deal with that emptiness. Happens when you give your heart to someone or a group of people, and they don't accept the gift. Or it happens when you give your heart to someone or a group of people, and years down the road, they wind up trampling all over it. It's a big, empty place right there. It happens when you've worked really hard, when you've practiced really hard at something like a sport, and then you don't make the team. It's a big, empty place. Happens when you work really hard for a certain degree, right? And then you graduate, you get out into the workforce, and you've worked there for maybe two, three, four years, or maybe even immediately, and you realize, oh my gosh, this is not what I thought it would be, a big, empty place. Happens when you try your hardest to resist the temptation to do that one thing that you keep doing, <laughs> that you don't want to do, and yet you keep giving yourself over and over and over again to it. It's a big, empty place. Happens when you, when you try to control your anger, but you seem to blow up more than most people, and you feel so guilty when it happens again. It's a big, empty place. It happens when, you, when you've worked for the same company for like half your life and then all of a sudden they're, they're like, you got two weeks and you're done. We have to downsize. It's a big, empty place. It happens when a doctor comes to you and says you're sick. Like you're really, really sick. A big, empty place. Or the doctor says you're going to need surgery. You're going to be laid up for a few months. A big, empty place. These are huge pieces of emptiness. And there's a whole lot more we could add to that list. So these women are overtaken by terror and amazement. They retreat into silence, saying nothing to anyone, because that's what human beings do. That's what we do when we're confronted with, a, with an emptiness we've never experienced before. We, we, we retreat into ourselves, right? We can't blame them, right? What happened just isn't natural. Things don't die and then come back to life. It doesn't happen. I mean, sir, we kind of see it in nature, right? We all know about what happens when you put a seed in, a ground, in the ground. It dies and then up sprouts a plant, right? Most of us don't have a clue how that actually happens, right? But we see it, and we understand it, and we get it, right? So we kind of see it there. We've got thousands and thousands of skin cells that die every single day of our lives, and they sort of just slough off and become the dust that fills our homes, which is really gross, by the way. But then our body just produces new skin cells, and it's uh, and it's like we don't even notice it's happening. So we kind of understand that, right? But a dead man, 
Like, dude's supposed to stay in his tomb. It doesn't matter what he said before he died. He's supposed to stay in his tomb. So we can't blame these women for for being overtaken by terror and amazement, for retreating into silence and saying nothing to anyone. Completely natural, right? Now, here's the deal. It is true that the young man dressed in white, still a little creepy that he's just sitting in there. What are you going to feel about that? He said, don't be alarmed. He could see it all over their body language. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Like, it's really good news. He's risen. But they weren't in the spot yet to be able to understand it. They weren't there yet. They weren't at that place where they could grasp it, at least Not yet. They couldn't grasp it because no one had ever experienced this before. They couldn't grasp it because they weren't aware at the time that you have to go through these profound empty moments, this emptiness, empty tombs, before you get to resurrection. But you know what? Eventually, eventually they do get it. Eventually, they do understand, and eventually, this is a way we can come to understand our own spiritual journeys, our own spiritual walks. Sometimes you have to get to the place where you're questioning everything, where you admit to yourself that you don't know what's up and what's down, what's right, what's wrong, what's real, and what's not. You have to live through that liminal space before you get to the place where you Oh, you find something new and fresh and more mature and beautiful. You get to a resurrected faith. Are you with me? Eventually, oh, they get there. They do take a turn. Eventually, like we wouldn't be here if they weren't, if they didn't, right? We know the rest of the story. We know they wind up going back to Galilee. We know they wind up having experience with the resurrected Jesus. We know they, didn't wind, they wound up telling the rest of the disciples. We know the rest of the story. Even if Mark didn't originally tell it to us, we now know it because we have the other witnesses. We have the book of Acts. We have all those letters in the New Testament. We have all of that. We know that. We know they didn't fall into the trap of thinking that if they just believe in themselves hard enough, they can do anything. No, no, no. Their, their trembling and fear took care of that illusion. Right? Instead, they quickly discover that Easter isn't about them. Easter isn't about us. Easter is about God. Easter is about God raising Jesus from the dead, and it's about having faith that God might just be able to do it for us too. It's about believing that God, that God is the one who has the power to fill the empty places in our lives and bring about new and unexpected, even resurrected life. Now, maybe you're thinking, lots of people think this, and I totally understand it, and I get it. Maybe you're thinking, well, Jesus was just a really good teacher. He did some really cool things. I like him a lot, but resurrection? Really? Come on, man. And lots of people have responded to those kinds of thoughts like this, right? Well, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, 
then either he's crazy or he's a liar. Have you heard this before? Because he said he would be raised from the dead, right? And if he was a crazy person or a liar, then we can't trust him and we have to just completely dismiss him altogether. We can't say he was just a good teacher. Now, that's an argument that C.S. Lewis and a whole bunch of others have made. Eh, it's okay. Like, I can find some holes in that. So it doesn't quite do it for me. But eventually you have to get to the place where you realize something profound happened. Something deep and profound happened. Considering the movement that sprung from this thing. So what if it is true? I invite you to just consider that. What if it really did happen? What, what might that mean? Well, maybe it means that what Jesus said was true. That God really is closer than we ever imagined before. That God really is at work in the world, putting things back together again, making things right again, renewing all things. Maybe it means that there's no hurt deep enough that God can't help you work through. Maybe it means that there's no pain that bad enough that God can't help you work through and endure and get to the other side of. Maybe it means that there's no mess big enough that you can make that God won't forgive you for it. Maybe it means that there's no distance great enough you can create between you and the creator of the universe that God won't bridge if we could even do such a thing. Later on, another follower of Jesus named Paul said this. Oh, these words. If we would literally take them seriously and believe them with all that we got, it would change so much. He said this. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, or demons, neither present or future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is one of the most stunning things a person could say, what would it mean if we actually lived into that? See, the resurrection isn't about us. It's about God. It's about God raising Jesus from the dead, and it's about having faith deep enough, having this trust deep enough to believe that God might be able to do it for us, too, in the here and now. It's about believing that God is the one who has the power to fill our empty places with new, unexpected, even resurrected lives. Because here's the deal. The resurrection isn't about the power of the human will. Just try harder. The resurrection isn't about the power of the intellect or the mind. Just learn more. Don't hear me saying those things aren't important because they are. The the resurrection isn't about the power of the human heart. Just love more. 
all of that stuff is really, really good. All of that stuff is stuff that we ought to live into. But the resurrection is about the power of the divine working in and through people. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, God can do anything new and unexpected life. Resurrection might just be just around the corner for you, for me, for us. But here's the thing. I think we have to go looking for it. I do. I think we have to go searching for it. I think we have to be on the hunt. And we have to be able to receive it and join in on it when we find it. I think that's part of what Mark is doing here. And in his story of Jesus all crazy like he does and uncomfortable like he does. Because this story demands a sequel, right? Hello, cliffhanger, what in the world? They just left and they didn't say anything to anyone because they were afraid? This story demands more. It demands a sequel. It demands, it, it demands, it, it, it's calling us to live it out. The man dressed in white says, he's not here. Now go. Go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he's ahead of you in Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Go. He's up ahead. He's out there. Jesus is loose in the world. He's not just stuck in places like this. He's out there, just around the corner. You have to go looking for it. I think Mark ends his story about Jesus like this, all crazy, because he wants us to hear again the invitation that Jesus gave at the very beginning of his story about Jesus, when he walked up to a bunch of ordinary fishermen who were not unlike us, and he just said, come, follow me. Right? It ends where it began, come, follow me. He's up ahead. I think Mark wants us to hear again what Jesus taught. If you want to save your life, if you want to make your life all about you, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, if you give your life away to the world for me and for what God is up to in the world, healing, loving, forgiving, reconciling, restoring, renewing, if you give your life to those things, to that, you'll live the most extraordinary kind of life. You'll find new life. You might even find resurrection. Jesus is loose in the world. The only question remains is, are we going to follow? Are we going to hunt? Everywhere we see opportunities for renewal, for transformation, for restoration, for healing, for putting things back together again, for doing the kinds of things that Jesus was up to when he walked around on this planet, things like crossing every every social barrier that we construct and welcoming those that nobody else will welcome, healing, all those things. Every time we see an opportunity like that, will we follow? Will we join in? Oh, I hope we do, because when we do, we're seeing Jesus at work in the world, 
Will we join? It's up to us. Let's pray.